Welcome to Books, Stories, People, with me, Nancy Richards. The San are said to be the first people, one of the world's original indigenous societies living right here in southern Africa. Well, at a place called Kwatu, meaning waterhole up the west coast, the San culture and legacy is being kept very much alive and well in many ways, but significantly through storytelling. Sharing the experience with visitors is one of a number of guides, a young San woman by the name of Mashada Ndango, who told me the first story in her own language. So this is a story of creation, where the sand people believe that in the beginning of creation, they were half human and half animal. That's how they can understand each other, they lived in harmony and in peace. And where did you learn that? And what language were you telling me that story in? Uh, I was using my mother tongue, which is Kwedam. I learned some of the stories by my past grandmother, uh, but not most of the story that I'm going to tell you guys. Uh, when I first arrived here, this is where I learned some of the stories because this is a place where you will find more stories of the sand people because it comes from its communities. And I think you talked in, in Kwedem, but I think that there are many sand languages, aren't there? How, how many? There is 13 different sand languages, which means there is 13 different groups. But the statistics, if you count them all together, you'll find that there is 130,000 sand people all over Southern Africa. So you learned your language living at home. Where was home? Where did you grow up? Actually, I was born in Smithsriff, near Douglas, but most of my life I was spending with my parents in a farm in Port Elizabeth. And then later, I think it was between during um, 2001 or two, people moved to Platfontein. And Platfontein is a place near Kimberley. That's where our parents live now. And I am here in Kwat working as a guide and a receptionist. And also learning the stories. I mean, you said that your grandmother taught you some of these stories. This one, there's a painting here, a very beautiful painting from a whole collection that tells the story. Did you know that story as, as a child? As a child, I didn't know the story of creation. I only knew the story of who had lied. And the person who had lied, all who had lied was the lion. So we got the, the, the fire from it. So what happened was the lion owned fire and then every evening, the other animals will come and sing for the lion in order for him to distract him and then to take away that fire. So one night uh, they came, they were singing, and each animal has a turn to grab and run. So, but the lion was really, really fast. He will go and catch them before they were far. And then all the animals tried out except ostrich. So they were doubting if ostrich was going to do it because ostrich had uh, only two legs. So then um, the hare said, okay, let's go and ask ostrich to help us. I think he will do it. And then even though they were doubting, they brought ostrich and ostrich grabbed the fire and then ostrich ran with that fire. And then the lion didn't catch him. So he went tree by tree uh, trying to kill that fire. <laughs> 
So today, the same people go to the special tree where the ostrich was to kill the fire, so they found these fire sticks there to make their fire. But we've got lots of other animals here. We've got, we've got an elephant as well. Is the elephant something special? Elephant is a symbol of God. So some people believe that when they were created, the animal to show them way where they could live was the animal. So they see the symbol of elephant as a god. Okay. I'm fascinated by the idea of the half human, half animals. I'm looking here, there looks like somebody that's half eland and half human. What was the purpose of that? How did that come about? Many times you will see on the rock art paintings, half human, half animal, most of the time the head is eland. So because that we believe that eland is a spiritual animal or a holy animal, they believe that people were like elands, they were like calm, they were spiritual. And also uh, when you will find sand people are doing their dances, they experience or see themselves as an eland because they still believe that they still have that uh, spirit in them, the animal spirit. That's why they can easily communicate with animals. I mean, I'm getting that an eland then is a good spirit, and there's a little creature down here, I'm not quite sure what he is, but he looks like an evil spirit. What, what embodied evil? So that was a story of life. So the moon was there to give life, and the moon sent the hare to go and tell the animals and the people that if you die, if I rise again, you will also rise from the dead. And then people were celebrating, they were making noise, and the hare was there. The hare was trying to talk to the people and the animals as well, but they didn't listen. They were busy with their own things. And then the hare said, okay, if you die, you will not rise when the moon rises. So that's how we see that the hair is an evil thing. What was the purpose of telling the stories? Was it to educate people? How did, how did storytelling work in the sand community? Yeah, storytelling is actually to educate people and also storytelling was very important into the sand culture because that's how we learn how to love, where to find food and who we are. So through storytelling, we get to hear stories of the animals, how to communicate with the animals and even spiritual stories. So stories are very important as a young child to grow up with so that you can know where you come from, so that you can know what to do as a sand person. And uh, equally as important as stories, if not more important than stories, is food. And I think the gathering of food and the way food sort of played a role in the sand culture is something that's very much uh, in focus here. And I think what we've been looking at is the proximity of the sea to the mountains. And I think the belief is, or the reality is, that the people fed from the sea, but then from the land. Just explain that. Um, so you'll find that the same people stayed in different places. You'll find the Kham group, um, that was the first people who met the Europeans. They lived here in the Western Cape. So uh, they lived through a very hard time where they have to learn to adapt their lifestyle because the climate was always fluctuating here. So when the ice starts to melt and when the sea gets deeper and then they will come to the landscape, that's where they're going to eat the wachonias, which is a drought-tolerant food which grows from underground, and that is their energy food. And then when the sea goes back, when it's a very dry time, they will follow the sea, and then that's where they're going to collect the mussels, then they are going to eat it, and that's their brainy food. So you will find that, I will say, 
90% of the food is gathered by women, where you'll find that hunting doesn't happen every day. It depends on the animal size that you kill. If you kill maybe an eland or a kudu, then it's going to take you a month before you can go and go and hunt. But gathering is very important so that everybody can have fresh vegetables and maybe fruits or berries every day. And the right vegetables or fruits or berries, because it must have been quite, uh, it would be quite easy to choose the wrong food. So the women did the, the gathering of the foods and the men did the hunting. I'll come back to the gathering of the food in a minute. But the hunting, was there a sort of spiritual aspect to the hunting as well? I mean, if people saw themselves as half animals, were, was there some sort of respect offered to the animals that they were hunting? Yes, there were always respect offered to the animals. So when they kill the animal, when they shoot the animal and the, the, the arrow hits the target, so because of the poison, the animal will get weakened and then the animal maybe will fall down. So they will come to the animal, they will kneel down or they will sit there and then they will say sorry to the animal, to show respect. They will call upon their ancestors to say that, thank you animal for giving your life to me so that I can survive in order for you to die. So they always show respect. And then also seeing the animals, uh, to show them respect, they don't kill the animals just randomly, especially when it comes to the eland. Elands were just killed when they have a purpose to kill it, like maybe they're having an initiation, or maybe there is a ritual taking place, or maybe a young woman comes from her woman's school. That's when they are going to kill the eland, but they don't kill the female, they only kill the male eland. The woman's school, tell me about that. <laughs> so the women's school is when a girl first gets her period and then uh, the elderly woman will take her out of the village and the, outside the, uh, the village there's going to be a very small hut and they're going to put her there. So she's going to spend the certain days there. The elderly woman will come there, give her water and food, sing with her and teach her about womanhood, how to become a good wife, how to become a good mother. So sometimes they will bring food or water to her and then they will put it there and leave without saying it's yours. So that's kind of a test to see is he going to eat that thing. If he take it, they are going to say it's stealing because they didn't say it's yours. So it's some kind of teaching her that if one day you get married and go to your in-laws place, do not take something that doesn't belong to you unless they say that it's yours. So when a girl gets her first period, that's when she goes to a woman's school. And I'm assuming that there's a boys' school, an initiation school of some sort? I would say the initiation is a boys' school because that, that's when he is going to participate in the hunting. So if they see that his body is growing and he's becoming a man, that's when they are going to initiate him. Uh, I haven't taken part in the initiation session, but I've seen many times in videos how they do it. Sometimes they take the plants that the animal eat, and then maybe with the blood or with the fat, they mix it and they burn it. They will cut the boy and then they will put in those medicine, mixing with the fat. That says that that boy is part of the animal now, or he has the animal spirit in him. So now he is ready to go and hunt with the hunters. Just coming back to the food, you mentioned Watsonia as one of the plants that they ate. What were some of the, because you've got, here you've got a garden which is full of medicinal plants, but what were the, some of the food plants that they ate? So when it comes to the sand people, because they were not farmers, they only ate something that comes from the nature. So they will go to the nature or, or go to the field and go and collect some food. So as a young girl growing up, if the elderly ladies will go out to go and gather, 
you'll have to go with them to go and learn which is a medicinal plant, which is an edible plant, and which is poisonous, because there are some of the plants that you cannot take and bring it to the village because some of the things are toxic. If you put that thing in the fire, if you want to pre-cook it, that smoke can get into people's lungs and make them sick. That's why you'll have to know your gatherings. And then also, uh, where my grandmother comes from, Namibia, you will find there are different foods that they used to eat. Monkey orange, they used to eat bush tomatoes, they used to eat other sorts of uh, fruits and vegetables as well that grows in that area. So they would have been quite healthy because they were eating pure food, as you say, that just comes from nature. But when people did get sick, there was a whole re- there is a whole range of medicinal plants. The one that I think of is uh, it's the agapanthus, which is a very specific for women. Did you tell me about that. So the agapanthus was used when a woman is uh, giving birth, but if the contraction pain is worse and then she's struggling to give birth, they will take the agapanthus and then they will make tea out of it and they will give it to the woman to drink so it will help her with the contraction pains and also it will help her with her strength to give birth and some of the others because I'm thinking these are plants that we should all we should all know about and be using never mind the sand people we should be using them now what are some of the other plants that are very valuable medicinally I would say during this time we need uh, plants like your wild wormwood, your cancer bush, your buhu, and your wild dacha as well, because those are very good for your body. Where you will come that this disease that we have today or the virus that we have today, it attacks you when you have a very low immune system. So you need cancer bush. Cancer bush, it's not going to cure cancer, but it's going to boost your immune system. Your buhu, you're going to need it for your kidney and your liver. Wild dach, you're going to need it for high blood pressure and asthma. And your wild wormwood, you're going to need it for cold and flu, stomach complaint. And even if you have a wound, you can burn the leaves and apply on your wound. So those are very important medicinal plants that we will need today and also in the future. It sounds like um, most of the women or most of the people, in fact, knew about these plants, passed perhaps on from generation to generation. But were there doctors, were there sort of healers in the sand tradition? So the healers always heal people when they are dancing around the fire. So when they're dancing around the fire, we call they get into trance. So when they get into trance, that's when they gain more power. So that's when they see through people like an X-ray, and also they see in darkness as if it's daylight. So when they get into trance, their spirit is going to leave their body to go to the spiritual world or to the ancestral world. So in order for them to travel there is through the spiritual animal, and that's the eland. So when they're in trance, they experience or see themselves as an eland, and then they travel to the ancestral world. So their body will be dancing around, but their spirit will be to the spiritual world seeking for help. Gosh, Nishada, you know all these stories, which is amazing that you've remembered them all, but... Somehow these stories, they have been written down, but are they mostly word of mouth? And are there new stories? Most of the stories are not written into books. So these stories are passed on to generation to generations, and they are very, very old stories that come from very, very, very old people, our great, 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 great parents. And then these stories come from them to us today. So... To keep the story alive for us is to tell the story 
every day. It's either you tell it to your friend, it's either you tell it to the people you meet or your children. So if you meet people like coming to do a tour, you have to share the story with them so that this story can keep on living inside you. I want us to walk down there because you've got a little corner where people can listen to stories and I think particularly children can listen to stories. And children come here and they share the stories that you tell them. Do you get many children coming here? Yeah, but not this time. I think last of last year we had many children who came here with their parents to maybe come and have some lunch. But because they were distracting their parents, their parents asked them to go on a tour. So we took them on a story tour and then we were telling them stories. First we tell them stories in our language and then while they were enjoying it, because they didn't understand, we translated in English or Afrikaans. I'm looking at your list of stories here and I see that there's a story of Baboon and Lizard by Melissa, the story of Chicken and Vulture by Nunke, and the story of Chief Dala by Marlene. Do you know those stories? Tell me the story of Chief Dala. Um, the story of Chief Dala is a common story and it's about getting married. So the story that's common to us is the story of the chicken and the vulture. That's a story that has been told to us many of many times when we gathered around in the evening. So that's a story of where the chicken went to the hawk to go and borrow a needle and the needle went missing. So because the chicken didn't went to the, to the hawk and gave back the needle, to pay back, the hawk comes every day to come and take the chicken's kids. So the moral of the story always is if you borrow something from someone and you promise to give it back on time, give it back on time as you promise because you don't know what your friend might do to you. So chicken and hawk were friends, but now they hate it, each other. Oh dear. <laughs> So not all the stories have a sort of a happily ever after. Um, we started off talking about lions, and I see there's also the story of the baby and the lion by Donique Dala. Do you know that story too? Um, because it's, it's in Kung, I do not really know the full story, but I know the story is that a woman left her baby to sleep, and then when she came back, there was a lion. So she tried by means to get the baby to her, so she did something to attract the baby to come to her before the lion can grab the baby. So she was trying to breastfeed the baby so that the baby can come to her. So that is how far I know the story. Mm -hmm. I'm still running Kung, so if you come back later, I'll tell you the full story. <laughs> how many languages do you speak? I speak my mother tongue. I'm still learning Kung. I speak Kwedam, Afrikaans, English. I'm also still learning my boyfriend's language, which is Naro. So I can understand a little bit of Naro because Naro people and us, the Kwe people, we use the same dialect. So that's how we understand a little bit of each other's language. How much are they used? I mean, you are very fluent and you're learning more, but how, how many people speak these languages? How many people speak Kwedam? I would say everybody in my community speaks Kwedam, and also you'll find in Namibia or Botswana, people still speak the language, but because the Sichuana language is dominant there, mostly they use Sichuana, but they still speak their language. As far as I know, the Sen language has been kept alive by trying to tell stories because most of the time you'll find other places this is the dominant language, other places Afrikaans is a dominant language, so people don't get the chance to use their language every day. So to keep that uh, alive or to preserve that for the next generation, they have to tell stories to keep it alive. 
the Sam people are known as the first people. I think they were the first people who stayed here in the Western Cape. What do you think is the, the future of the Sand people? I mean, you're busy keeping the stories alive here, but are there new stories being written? What are you telling, what are you going to tell your children and your grandchildren? I think that it's going to be a mixed up story because the stories that are coming, we're going to tell them, but we are also going to tell them our stories, which is based on our life. So I would say in the future, the sand culture, if we are not are going to be doing what we are supposed to do, like telling stories or doing the healing dance or learning how to write our language, our culture is going to get extinct because of the mixer. You go this way and you're going to do this, you go this way and you are going to speak Afrikaans or English or you're going to speak an African language. So I say in the future it's going to be a very different thing and it's also going to be difficult for us to identify ourselves as a sane person because that seeing that our elders, the ones who knows the story, the ones who knows the background of us deeper, they are very old. Some of them have already passed away. So I think in the future, our culture might be in danger if you don't take it seriously. And if you don't tell your own stories, what's your story? Uh, my story, I will tell them from beginning, from childhood, how I used to struggle running around with my parents, going to farms, but I didn't give up on life. And these struggles are the things that make me strong to be the person who I am today. So it's sort of some kind of courage that I'm going to give it over to my children. It sounds like you're a very strong plant or a very strong animal. If you were to be an animal, what animal would you be? Uh, I will not say lion because lion is very much dominant. I'll take um, elephant. Elephant is a spiritual holy animal which is seen as a goddess. And also elephant is a very strong animal. So I'll take uh, elephant because elephant also used to help people when like predator animals attack people on their hunt and elephant is nearby the elephant will come out and help people so I'll say I'm an elephant I like helping people I am a strong person and also I am spiritual inside of me Mama Elephant thank you very much it's been lovely <laughs> Thank you very much for visiting us and I am really I have a really privilege to share my stories with you and I hope that you are going to share these stories with your friends and let the stories go on and go on and keep them alive in order to help us. That was the voice of Nishado Ndango. Well, one of Nishado's colleagues at Kwatu is another young woman who shares her stories in a slightly different way. My name is Marlene McKenna. I'm from the Northern Cape Kimberley. I'm from the Kung community speaking and I'm going to sing a song short but nice and afterwards I'll explain what the song is about Tati 
song I was singing was about what happened in our past, how we were chasing out of our land. And we were the first people here in South Africa, but today we have no land. And we hope that we will get one day in the near future our land back. We are crying, children are crying, youth are crying, and our elders are crying. But we hope that we will get our land back soon in the near future. Thank you. Thank you, Marlene. That was beautiful. And I see that you have told a story as well. It's called The Story of Chief Dala. Can you tell me that story? The story was about Chief Dala. Chief Dala was a chief in the village. And one day, Chief Dala decided to call all the young men in the village because Chief Dala's daughter, Tumba, was grown up and she was a lady and she was about to get a husband because the father was old and wanted someone to look after him. And then he called all the young men in the village and he told the young men that he want on one condition someone who wants to marry his daughter on one condition someone must tell a story until he falls asleep and then all the village boys come and they tell the stories and nothing happened and then there was a poor guy that was in the village as well and then one day the lady come out of the royalty house and went out and then he find the guy and ask him why don't you come to my father's place and tell your story? Maybe you have an interesting story that could make my father fall asleep. And he replied to the young lady, why am I supposed to go to your father's home? Me, as ugly as I am, dirty as I am, and I'm so poor. Such a huge house with such important person. I don't belong there. And she tell him, you can just come and tell a story. And then he came the day, and when he started telling his story, he was like, my king, my chief, one day, if there is a broadcasting that there will be no rain the next years, how will you look after the village and your villagers? And then the chief said, I will plant and I will make sure that there is more food for them so that they can eat in the season that we don't get rain to grow our gardens. And then he asked the chief, but will there not be somebody who's going to eat the food with the villagers? And then the chief said, of course, there will be some insects or grasshoppers. And then he said, but it will, it will take time. The grasshopper, one will come in and take one sit and fly away. One will come in and there is just go on one grasshopper. It's in, 
and they take one seat and he ran away and the whole night and they, the chief get tired but he refused to fall asleep and then they break the storytelling and say maybe we can continue the next year and the next day he continued just where he stopped and then after that the whole day then the chief got tired and then he fall asleep after he wakes up all the villagers lament and say this is the man for the chief's daughter and then they become husband and wife and live happily ever after that's a lovely story thank you you're welcome